The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter uh, 11. Uh, we're going to open up with the first 11 verses. You'll, you'll, you know this passage. You know it well. It's the triumphal entry. So Mark 11, chapter 1 through... Uh, chapter 1 through 11, and the title of our Bible study tonight is Hosanna. You know Hosanna. You're familiar with it from from children's ministry. That is the very, very young know the word Hosanna. It's Hebrew, and um, although tonight when we read about it, it's used as shouts of praise uh, for Jesus as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of Passover week. Jewish people from all over the known world are coming to Jerusalem. They're going up to Jerusalem. They're singing psalms of ascent, psalms of worship together, corporately moving up, families, the young and the old, coming to Jerusalem for Passover. And and as Jesus appears on the Mount of Olives, coming from the east westward uh, to the city there, they begin to shout, Hosanna. And so that's the significance uh, of, of the word. And one of, one of the, probably the most literal translations, again, of this Hebrew word is, is that it is a plea for salvation. Once you keep that in the back of your mind, it is a plea, it is a request from the people to God for redemption, for salvation. But I want to begin about talking about how you and I receive a, pre- a president, a new president. You know, uh, the inauguration of an American president takes place during the month of January in Washington, D.C., following a presidential election. And so there's been the election season, we've all uh, been aware of that, and yet there the election comes and a, a person is selected, is elected. Some are pretty happy about that, and some people are not too, and, and, and so, but on January 20th, we have Inauguration Day, unless the 20th falls on a Sunday, then it will take place on the 21st or on that Monday. And on this day, it begins a four-year term for the president-elect. Now, here's some of the people who are invited. I have never, apparently, never have had my name on the list, uh, but there will be some people from the public that can come and sit and observe as this president is sworn in. There will also be in attendance members of Congress, Supreme Court justices, high-ranking military officials, former presidents. You'll, you'll see them lined out there. Medal of Honor recipients. And don't forget the president who is leaving or uh, leaving office. He, too, will be present uh, at the inauguration. There will be an oath administered by the Chief Justice of the United States, and the president-elect will place his hand upon a Bible and will swear to protect the Constitution of the United States. You and I, being Southern Californians, we watch everybody all dressed up, all kind of wrapped up nice and warm because it can be cold in Washington, D.C., but Inauguration Day warms the hearts of most Americans. It's interesting that in the Ramos household, my mom would require us to, to watch And she would point certain things out. She felt that it was important for us to know who our president was. If 
there was a president she didn't vote for, she would ask some, some specific things to say about the individual and what the, ne- what the next four years would be like. But nevertheless, I want, you to think, I want you to think about this. This is how America receives their president. Tonight we're going to see how Israel received their king, their Messiah, the Christ. And there is a bit of tension if you know the whole story, if you're familiar with Jesus, that he's been here for approximately three years, that he's made himself available, in particularly in the region of Galilee, which was to the north, but there would be those times that he would come down into the region of Judea and come to Jerusalem. And there were the people who loved him and the people who received him, but there were also those in positions of leadership who rejected him. And so we have this tension. Tonight we see the common people receive Jesus. We'll conclude in verse 11 with him walking into the temple at the end of the day. It says that he walks around and he observes what's going on and he immediately leaves to the east, returning to the small village of Bethany. We'll read about that in a couple of minutes. I think the significance of this event is that all four gospel writers want us to know that Jesus was received. For you and I, all these years later, we call this day Palm Sunday. And if you're here at Maranatha Chapel on a Palm Sunday, You'll see the children exit their Sunday school classrooms waving these, you know, these, these uh, palm branches that either their Sunday school teacher has prepared for them or they've made it in arts and crafts. It is a time of celebration. The week, we call the week following Palm Sunday Passion Week, the Passion Week, marking major events leading to the cross. And so we have this tension. We have this joy in the celebration. But you and I know the backstory. We know how things turn out. We know at the conclusion of this week, even though Jesus is welcomed by hundreds, maybe thousands, at the very end of the week, he'll be by himself, that he will be alone. It's again, as I use the word tension, because we know where the story takes him. I think one of the most important things, if you look at this thing, if you stand back and look at the whole thing, is that you see the incarnation or the birth of Christ. You see the three years of ministry. You certainly do see the crucifixion. But you see it all through the lens of the resurrection. You see it all through Jesus conquering the grave and death. On the original Palm Sunday, people, common people, waved palm branches that they would cut from the trees. There were many there at the time. They would take off their outer cloaks, and on the path before Jesus, they would lay them down before him so that the donkey that he was riding on would literally walk upon their cloaks or their outer garments. But we do know that in a couple of days, in a handful of days, Jesus would be rejected by a friend, tried, and then crucified, and on the third day he would raise from the dead. I want you tonight, as we read through this, to hear the crowd shout, shouting Hosanna, knowing that, again, there would be in a short period of time people, not the same people, but people shouting, crucify him. Palm Sunday reminds us that people either receive or reject the king, the king of Israel, the king of the world, that there is no neutral ground. My friends, tonight as we gather together, there is no Switzerland 
when it comes to Jesus. You either receive him or you reject him. From our perspective, the triumphal entry is historical, but I believe with all of my heart that even tonight, Jesus patiently waits to be received by those he came to save. On the screen, you're going to see a a, a statement or a quote. This is, uh, uh, draw your attention to the screen where it says, Jesus isn't the king people want. What I mean by that is, he is the king who came to serve. He is the king who came to die. And the conclusion of the sentence is, he's the king people need. He's the king, he's the king who through his death would gain victory over evil. He's the king who through his weakness would allow us to become strong. So in our time together tonight, we're going to look at two things. One, that the king's presentation was planned by God, and secondly, that it was celebrated by the people. So let's go ahead and read in our scriptures in verse 1. Where it says, now when they, that is the disciples who had been traveling with Jesus for some time, drew near, near, came close to Jerusalem. They would have seen it at a distance as they made their way up, up over the top of the Mount of Olives. They would have seen Jerusalem there. They would have seen, again, there would have been with other, other folks that were traveling, making their way to Jerusalem. They they came to the, the village of Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now these are two small, uh, probably a wide spot in the road or the path uh, coming up from the Jordan Valley to Jerusalem. Bethphage means the house of unripe figs. There were a lot of figs planted in that area and Bethany the house of sorrows. You know, I think of Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, or Bethel, which means the house of God. And so we have this word association again on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples. Jesus sends out two disciples together to accomplish this this chore of, of what we're about to read. There were two, not one. We see this as a pattern in his ministry, don't we? That there would be two to encourage each other, to be with each other, to have accountability. I believe there's wisdom in that. In verse 2 it says, And he said to them, Go to the, to, into the village that is in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what are you Why are you, you doing this? Say, the Lord, and he identifies himself as the Lord or Messiah here, has need of it, and it will be sent back here immediately. That is, as soon as Jesus is done with this colt, colt, he's only borrowing it, he will send it back. He didn't have a colt of his own. As a matter of fact, at the crucifixion, what do we know? We know that he had but one garment, right? That is what the, the, the Roman soldiers were gambling for because they didn't want to cut it or rent it. Jesus had nothing in this world. And yet, through Jesus, you and I, listen, you and I have everything. He had nothing in this world. As a matter of fact, when uh, he was talking to some potential disciples, he says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Birds of the air have nests. 
Fox have burrows or dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so he borrows. He borrows an animal that he needs, knowing that he will return it. There's one other thing. He knew that it would be there, which speaks to his omniscience. That is, that he knows all things. God knows all things. Jesus calls himself Lord. He knows he knows what nobody else knows at this time. Listen. And he knows what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he, he is concerned. He has thoughts about what's going on in your life. The significance of a donkey or a colt was to see a king riding upon a colt meant that he came in peace. He came to Jerusalem in shalom or in peace. Verse 4. And they went away, that is the two disciples, and they found the colt that was tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those who were standing there, they said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? Basically, they're saying it doesn't belong to you. In verse 6, we're told, and we'll stop here for a moment. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. I I think at this stage in the story, the disciples following Jesus would have taken his messages, and as they went out, they would have repeated the words of Jesus, and they would have seen responses. They would have watched over the totality of their discipleship and their apostleship. They would have learned that when Jesus tells us something, it will be so. And I think that you and I, so many years later, in a world that's so different, need to remember that when Christ tells us something, it is so. So these two disciples, I'm sure, are walking up to this village that they knew quite well, maybe even knew some of the folks that were there, felt comfortable in approaching this this small uh, donkey, and, and they begin to take it, And exactly what Jesus told them is what would happen. My friends, listen, especially in the day in which we live. If you are like me and at times we see the things going on in the world, we need to remember that Jesus said, it will be so in the latter days. Remember when he said, let not your heart be troubled. For in this world you will have tribulations. In this world you have afflictions and difficulties. But be of good cheer. For I, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He is the anchor in every storm. We see too that, the, that, the, that this plan of redemption or Jesus coming into Jerusalem was promised by the prophet. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly. That is, rejoice greatly. That's what we see is about to happen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous, having salvation, is he? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These are people who lived in anticipation of this moment. Generation after generation would have read this promise, would have looked to kings and to leaders, hoping that they would be the ones that would come. They would be the one that would come and that would save them, that would redeem them, 
Now, now uh, we've said many times that in their minds, they, they viewed, they pictured a political or military ruler. But Jesus comes, as the prophecy says, upon a donkey. And based on God's promise, people hoped that Messiah would overthrow Rome. That was the problem at the moment. That was the occupier of that time. And you know, if you know Israel's history, they had had many, many uh, foreign countries that would come in and occupy the land. In this case, it was Rome. And that's what the people were looking for, redemption from Rome, redemption from Rome, being liberated from Rome. But what what was their greatest need? To be set free from sin and from darkness. As Jesus moved through the land with each and every individual, he meets their need, whether it was to receive vision or for their limbs to be strengthened or to be delivered from darkness. Jesus came and he set the captives free. We'll read a little bit more more about that in a moment. Notice the prophet's description of their king. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. I want you to think, he is coming to rescue you. In tough times, that's what we need to hear. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. I mean, I was talking about people with different infirmities and weaknesses, and Jesus rescued or saved them from those diseases and from those infirmities. But he would ultimately come to save them from sin. From sin. In tough times, we need to hear that our King is coming to us. He's righteous, having salvation. We need to know that God is not only able, but He's willing to save you. Whatever you're going through, and those of you that are joining online, whatever you're going through, Jesus is here to rescue you because He loves you because he cares about you and he cares about me and he's come to save us notice that Jesus's presentation was marked by humility that he would be humble and mounted on a donkey and so when the people meet Jesus when they see Jesus their hearts are are are, are erupting they're they're exploding Israel expected a conquering king And their king comes in humility. I I, I think one of the things that that strikes me that he would come on on a young colt is that he would be close to the people. If he had come on a, on, a, on a big horse, he would have been high above them. And, and, and yet we see him draped over, his legs draped over this, this, this small donkey, and people being able to touch him and to come close to him, not intimidated by a massive, powerful animal, but welcomed by a vulnerable, small animal, and Jesus being close enough to touch. Oh, my friends, for some of us, we think he's so far away. We, we, we believe in our minds that our, that, our, that our challenges in our life are such obstacles, they're, they're almost mountains, and yet we see Jesus drawing near to be close. Oh, I hope that you see that tonight for you. He comes to be close. He would, he would earlier in his ministry, some three years before this moment that we're reading about tonight, he would go into his very own hometown of, of Nazareth, and, and he would come into the synagogue. And, and, and they would honor him by allowing him to read uh, the scriptures. And he would say in uh, Matthew 11, 
He wouldn't say this. He would say this letter later. But remember his humility. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Hear this tonight and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Listen to these words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, in human nature, we can take something like faith or Christianity in an attempt to, again, human nature, right? In an attempt to to take the scriptures and we can make them unintentionally, but we can make them burdensome. We can come to somebody who we know and, you know, we have this relationship, this friendship, and, and, and we're believers and And we want to emphasize the do's and the don'ts. And I'm not saying that that's never right, but Jesus paints a picture of us coming to him and him rescuing us from our burdens and our sins and the things that we can't do. He empowers us and gives us liberty. Christmas reminds us that God became a man, an infant, a child, eventually an adolescent, and then a man. That Jesus came into a world and that he was vulnerable, weak, and that he would, by his own design, have little to no reputation with people. He borrows this young donkey. The fact that everything is, as he describes, again, speaks to his omniscience. There would be another time at the conclusion of the week where Jesus would send two more disciples into the city of Jerusalem, that is within the walls of Jerusalem, which was where most Jews wanted to celebrate the Passover. And he would speak of, go into the, go into the city, go into the streets, and you will see a man carrying a jar of water. And the disciples would go and find it, just as he said. Again, Jesus knowing what would take place. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 2, Jesus says to the disciples, go into the village in front of you. It's almost identical to to Mark's uh, passage here. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So it's a mother and it's, um, it's colt. Untie them and bring them. Listen, bring them to me. On the screen you'll see that God's plan was to deliver us from sin's penalty deliver us from sin's power, and eventually from sin's presence. On the cross, he would die for our sins, and that is where he would bear the penalty for our sins. And as the Spirit would come, and I'm sure as your experience as he would work in our lives, he begins to deliver us from the power of sin. And yet one day, as we look forward to Christ's return, he will deliver us from the presence of sin. Before we get into the next section, When Jesus approached Jerusalem, the people celebrated or worshipped, again with this expression of Hosanna. So we have the people from from Galilee. We're almost done. We're heading that direction. We have the people coming up from the Jordan Valley, from Jericho. They're making this ascent. They're coming up to what was called the Serpentine Road. And as they get to the top, they're singing, they're worshipping. So if you could picture Jesus coming to Bethphage and then to Bethany, there are a lot of people with them. There's a lot of, uh, of pilgrims. They're, they're coming. They're journeying. They're getting close to their, to their destination, and there's excitement. And then they see the temple, and then they see Jesus. And then in verse 7, that, that 
Jesus' coming was celebrated by the people. And they, the disciples, brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, making a saddle, making it comfortable, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. This is a spontaneous uh, time. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting again, Worship, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom. Now, they did have this mentality of the kingdom coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then again, he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already becoming late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. We're going to wrap up here with a couple of thoughts. My friends, tonight, this season, this scene is filled with joy. These are common people. They're coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover in their hearts and in their minds with the story of when God delivered a nation from Egypt, when God delivered them from Pharaoh's hand. By ten mighty plagues, God delivered a people. And when God referred to that event, he says, I brought you out on eagles' wings. And these people have this hope in them that a a king is coming to liberate us. And, And you and I, again, by nature, we have a hope, we have a desire that somebody will come and rescue us, that somebody will step into our world, that somebody will step into our life for the purpose of saving, of rescuing us. Out of a world that oftentimes say you're insignificant, you don't run fast enough, you're not smart enough, you're not tall enough, you're not, uh, you're not handsome enough, you're not pretty enough. We have a God who steps into our world, even more than that, steps into your life. Tonight, he steps into your life for the purpose of saving you, of rescuing you. Listen to what I'm about to say. And we respond with worship. We respond with worship. There was a time when Jesus, earlier in his ministry, he and the disciples are going through uh, the borderline of Samaria and the Galilee. It's a little rugged out there, and, and Jesus is making his way down the road, and he encounters ten, ten lepers who are crying out for Jesus to save them. Now, in their minds, it's from leprosy. They heard that this man, he has compassion on lepers. And, and so here he is. What a, what, what, what a great thing has happened. He's come to our village, and, and they were excluded from the village. So they're on the perimeter. They're on the outside, and they see him. And these ten men are crying out to Jesus. And he tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And they're gone. They're gone. And, and somewhere along the line, while they're on the way, they begin to look at their, 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 their hands and their bodies, and they say, they say, look, look, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And they continue to do Jesus, just as Jesus said. They continue to make their way to the priest so that they can be declared clean and return to their families. Now listen, except one except one of the lepers. As he's making his way, as he begins to see, the terminology is so significant, 
Because it says that he sees that he was healed and he returned back and he finds Jesus. And the ter- again, the terminology is vivid. It says he comes and he falls on the ground before Jesus and he worships him. And Jesus steps into your life and Jesus steps into my life and we worship him. Because, my friends, when we trust in him, he cleanses us not from leprosy, but from sin. I was 22 years old. I won't tell you the whole story. I was 22 years old. I'm not going to bore you with the activities of my life. But none of them satisfied. And I remember I came to this point. I was a 22-year old young man with little to no experience in Christianity. And if you would have asked me if I knew anything about the Bible, I would have told you, well, there's this, this Christian, or not Christian, this uh, animated Charlie Brown Christmas. And, you know, Charlie Brown and his little friends are making, you know, all this for a play and all that. And, and again, 22 years old, and, and I would have told you that I watched this with my younger sisters, but I had to leave the room when Linus, uh, something to do about a Christmas tree or something, but Linus, I know I'm butchering it, but listen, Linus comes out onto the platform and he goes, lights, and then he says, Charlie Brown, this isn't what Christmas is all about. He says, for unto you is born in the city of David a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. And at that time in my life, I wept. I wept hard, young construction guy. Nothing in my life satisfied me. But when I heard what was the word of God, I would have to leave the room because I would cry. And my friends... Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem turned into our redemption. Let's go ahead and finish up here. The scene is joyous. Hear the people praising God and Messiah is coming. We know that the week begins in worship but concludes in weeping. We know that just as it was told to Mary that her heart would be pierced, that Jesus, on account of him, there would be the raising up and the pulling down of many. There's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 9 when a king named Jehu was chosen to be king of the northern tribe, the ten tribes to the north, and the people would shout at his selection, Jehu is king. They would then sound a trumpet drawing, calling all the people, And then they too would lay down their garments on the ground, symbolizing submission, the pain of homage and allegiance to a new king. And here we have the people, the common people, taking their garments and laying them before them, cutting branches, laying them down, and crying out, Hosanna. This is praise at the sight of Jesus. Again, the word Hosanna means save. Begging or asking for save, 
salvation comes from Psalm 118. And then we hear the words, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David, or King David. Hosanna in the highest. The words capture the very heart of Israel's expectation. Their king would come. Now this is the verse I thought I was going to read to you earlier. In Nazareth, Jesus said these words to his family and friends. And these words would cause a small community of Nazareth to reject him. I read to you from Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, to the poor. He, God, has sent me to proclaim good news. To who? To the poor. To the poor and the powerless. To those who are not necessarily highly esteemed in their community. He goes on to say, He has sent me again, reading from Isaiah 61, He has sent me to proclaim or to preach liberty to captives. Captives? To those who are captives of sin, of behavior that is destructive, captives of the enemies, of Satan, and recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. All of these words speak of Messiah's redeeming all that was lost in the fall. And my friends, all that was lost in the fall was redeemed at the cross. And if you in any way experience oppression tonight or captivity to to, to following after anything that you, will, that you believe will satisfy you, Jesus says these words that this is the reason that he came. And although I'm not going to read it, one of the things he says is that this is the acceptable year of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord, the beginning, the genesis of Christ starting something in this world to bring salvation. He's here to bring you salvation. Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts. In Luke 19, two things take place at this point. The first thing is, Luke 19, verse 39 says, Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, rebuke or correct your disciples. They're not supposed to be doing this. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the opposition or the hostility at the conclusion of the week that would lead to the cross. The second thing I want you to remember is this. In verse 41 from Luke 19, Jesus comes over the top of the Mount of Olives. He begins to descend down into the Kidron Valley. And then he stops. The people are singing. The people are rejoicing. The religious leaders are very uncomfortable, which kind of makes you feel good. They should feel uncomfortable for all the things they do. And Jesus looks at the city and he weeps. He begins to cry. He begins to lament. Listen. And he says these words to a city and to a people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. With tears flowing down his eyes, he says, he drew near to the city, he wept over it. And in brokenness over the, over the city, 
He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times have I wanted to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks and you would not have it? Now I'm done, but I do want to tell you tonight. Jesus opens his arms to you to give you redemption, salvation, to open his arms to you to embrace you and to hold you, to rescue and to save you from so many things, from so many things, from the, what? The penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus has come to rescue you from death. Why? Because he would die for you. From the, listen, the power of sin. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can say no to sin. And then he promised us that he would return. In John chapter 14, he told his disciples, I'm going away that where I am ye may be also. Listen. And at his return, turning, he will deliver us from the presence of sin, from the penalty, from the power, and from the presence. And he weeps for a people in a place. The people celebrate, and God weeps. Why tears? Jesus sees in 70 AD that that very same city and those people would be destroyed. There's two things I want you to think about before, and I'm done. I want you to see from our time together tonight, I want you to see the humility of your king. The humility, the lowliness. How he comes and he makes himself low so that he can be close to us, that he can be with us. And secondly, I want you to see the wonder. The triumphal entry leads to the wonder of the resurrection. That because he is the Lord of lords and he is the king of kings, he will on the third day rise from the dead. And because he has risen from the dead, my friends, you and I, what do you tell Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live. My friends, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. So Father, tonight, so many of us have the incarnation, the birth of baby Jesus on our minds. I think it's great to look at all of the Christmas happenings through the lens of the resurrection, through the lens of the triumphal entry, through the lens of a God who draws very, very, very close to those he comes to save, to a God who is humble, to a God who weeps, and to a God whose work inspires wonder and awe. And Lord, tonight we are in awe of you, Jesus, that you would become like us in all ways, in all things, except that you are sinless, that you certainly are, John the Baptist, lamb who takes away the sins of the world, that you are the one who even in heaven, John, the apostle sees a lamb as though it has been slain. And this you do for us. And as we see you in the scriptures, we, like those so many years ago, cry out to you, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.